West was performing. And uh, he brought a young lady up on stage with him. His name, her name was Cameron, and she was filming um, him. And he said, are you, are you live right now? And she said, yeah. And he said, well, come on up on stage. And he brought her up on stage. And she got up on stage, and she had this huge smile on her face, and then instantly she just broke into tears and started crying because she was now standing next to, on stage, with Matthew West. And that was a huge deal to her. And I thought, how many times do we come in the presence of God and it doesn't even shake us, right? But yet we come into the presence of someone like that. You know, we come into the presence of a, of a UT athlete. I was standing in line. I promise I've got a message today. I didn't forget and just say, I'm just going to share random thoughts. Um, I, was in, I was at Chick-fil-A the other day, and I frequent Chick-fil-A a lot. It's not because they're a Christian company. It's because their chicken is good. And so I was at Chick-fil-A the other day, and I was standing there, and two UT football players walked in, and the whole store stopped. I don't know who they were. Nobody probably would have known they were UT football players if they didn't have on foot, you know, the gear that they give them, and it said Tennessee football and all that. People were slapping them on the back. Good luck Saturday, and hey, how's it going? And like the line parted, and everybody let them go. They're like, no, 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 guys, you've got stuff to do. Come on up and order. I'm like, it's a Thursday afternoon. These guys have nothing to do. They should probably be in class, but instead they're at Chick-fil-A. And everybody was just like, oh, my gosh, just come on up, come on up. You know, we get in the presence of people like that, and we just lose ourselves. Right? We, just, we just go nuts. But yet we have the chance to come in the presence of the creative God of the universe, and we're just like, eh, just another day. Right? It's not just another day. It's God, and we should be aware of that. We're starting a new series today. <clears throat> It's our Christmas series. Now I know what you're going to say. It snows in November because pastors start their Christmas series in November before Thanksgiving. But sometimes the calendar dictates that the pastor must start his Christmas series before Thanksgiving in November. So if it snows before Thanksgiving because I do this message, you're welcome. Because you know you really like the snow. You just like to complain about it when it happens. Everybody wants it to snow until it snows. And then they're like, oh man, this snow, it's, it's keeping me from work. And it's keeping me from school. And it's keeping me from all, all the things that you, like, you don't really want to do. And the snow's keeping you from that. But you feel like you need to go online and complain about it. Because that's the cool thing to do. Like, oh, why does Knoxville freak out when it snows? Because it doesn't snow very often. Right? And so we like it when it snows. And we use it as an excuse not to go to school. And we use it as an excuse not to go to work. Because you know some of you in the room have texted your boss when it snowed and said, can't make it. My driveway is too rough. Right? Like, my driveway is too, too icy. My driveway is covered with snow. The, the streets are terrible, you know. And you know your boss drove to work, right? He knows what the roads are like. But you use this as an excuse not to go. And so we want to get on there and complain about it, but we really, we really love it. We really like it. So if it snows because I started our Christmas series in November, then so be it. I'll take that. Okay? I'll take that, and you take the day off, and everybody will be happy, and we'll all be good. But we're starting a new series, and the series is called King. And the reason it's called King is because I want us to focus this year on the reality that on that first Christmas night, a king was brought into this world. And that king was not a normal king. He was not an ordinary king. He was a king that was, that was given for you and for me. And he was a king that was given so that we could trust in him, follow him, and believe in him so that one day we could spend eternity with him. I was standing in my house this week and there was a knock on the door. And I went and I answered the door. And much to my surprise... 
because I didn't think they would ever actually come to my house. There were a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses standing on the other side of the door. And I smiled when I opened the door. Because I thought, I have been waiting for you for months. I've seen them meeting around my neighborhood. And I thought, I, I wonder if they've come when I've not been home. I wonder if they just look at my hill and they go, I'm not walking up that driveway. Because these two guys, when by the time they got and they knocked on the door, they started talking to me. And then they went, Whew. sorry, give me just a second. I was like, I know it's a big hill. Thanks for the commitment. Come on up. You know, I said, do you guys want to come in? They were like, no, we'll just stand here. And I said, great. They said, can we ask you a question? I said, yes. And they said, what do you think about the kingdom of God on earth? And I said, you're going to have to be more specific. And they said, well, the kingdom of God on earth. And I said, that's the same thing you asked me just a second ago. You're going to need to be more specific. And they said, well, what about what the Bible says about the kingdom of God on earth and who's going to be there? And I said, well, when are you talking about? I said, are you talking about after the rapture, after the tribulation, are you talking about the thousand-year reign? Are you, what are you talking about? And they said, well, who's going to be living on earth? I said, when? <laughs> like, like, when? Specify, please. So we got into this whole discussion about how they believe that there are people that are not heavenly-minded, but they're good people, and that the Bible says one day they're going to get to live on earth forever. And I said, oh, you're talking about the new heaven and the new earth. And they were like, yes. And I said, oh, you see, that's the thing. That's not going to be this earth. That's not going to be this earth. And they said, but the earth is so special to God. It was his prized creation. I said, no, 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 no. We are his prized creation. The earth's just earth. And they said, no, God talks about his love for the earth in the scriptures. And I said, that's funny. It took him five chapters to destroy it and rearrange it. Like five chapters in, God said, my prize creation is so bad that I need to restart. And the earth is just a thing. I, like He completely rearranged it. I said, do you think the earth looks like it did before the massive flood? Well, no. I said, then why is this earth so special to God? It's not the earth. It's the people in it. Okay. Finally, I just said, guys, listen, I've got to go. But I said, I want to leave you with this thought. And they said, what's that? And I said, you're wrong. <laughs> and they said, what do you mean we're wrong? I said, you're wrong. You're peddling a false hope. And they said, no, no, no. We're just trying to spread hope. I said, but the hope you're spreading is false. He said, how so? I said, because you're out knocking on people's doors and telling them that they can be good and they can live on this earth for all eternity and it's going to be okay. And the reality is, is that Scripture tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that our desire should not be the end game of living on this earth forever, but our desire should be basking in the glory of God forever. And by the way, the new heaven and the new earth, God will illuminate them all. That is eternity. And they said, well, we'll just have to agree to disagree. I said, well, thanks, guys. Be careful going down the hill. Would you like a bottle of water as you go? And they said, no. Listen. We make Christmas about a lot of things, but the reality is that at the centerpiece of it, there was a small king born on that night. He was small in the way that he was born, but he was great in the fact that he was an eternal king who had already existed. He wasn't created. He wasn't built. He wasn't imagined. He just was. 
And our brains can't comprehend that. I've talked about that a lot. Our brains can't comprehend this God that exists outside the realm of time because our brains are linear and we think in, in, in a manner of time. We like timelines. Show me on a timeline. What timeline are we talking about? What time do I need to be at lunch? What time do I get off work? We think in form of linear time. And so to imagine that there's time here and then there's God here, like he exists outside of time. He's not infected by time. He's not impacted by time. He doesn't age. He doesn't change. He doesn't grow. He doesn't deteriorate. He just simply is. And it's hard for our brains to comprehend that. And that same God took bodily form, took earthly form, and was born in the form of a baby on this particular night. Let's look at it real quick. Let's look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to start with Luke chapter 2 today, beginning with verse 1. If you've got your Bibles and you want to turn there, you can. Um, it'll be on the screen. We're reading from New Living Translation today, so if you look it up in your Bibles and it reads a little different, if you're not reading on the New Living Translation, it's the same. Hey, it's the same. Listen. So I, whatever you think about translations, as long as it's a direct translation from the original text, it's okay. All right? Listen, if you read King James, read King James. That's fine. I'm not going to judge you for it. If you read New Living Translation, read New Living Translation. I'm not going to judge you for it. Right? I, I had a deacon tell me one time. We were having the King James debate. And he said, uh, and, and I'm never, listen, I'm never afraid to engage in a good, lively debate. That does not bother me. And we started the King James debate, and he started the whole thing, and I couldn't get him to understand that Jesus didn't speak King James English. I was like, you know Jesus didn't speak King James English, right? Like, that wasn't, Jesus didn't actually say thou and thee, right? He was speaking Aramaic. He wasn't speaking King James English. And so, so he was going on, and he said, he finally pulled out this argument. He said, well, I figure if it's good enough for my mom, it's good enough for me. I said, that's great. My mom reads the NIV. Now what are we going to do? I, like, we're just going to let our moms fight? I, like, you call your mom over. I'll call my mom over. Look, my, your mom's got my mom by 20 years. She'll, my mom will take her. I, like, she's faster. She's quicker. She's meaner. She'll take her. So just let's, let's bring her on. By the way, I said that. That was a complete. And to, I, don't, I didn't even know what my, translation my mom was reading at the time. I just wanted to win the debate. So I was like, so, Mom, what translation are you reading? What translation do you have today? NIV. I'm a prophet. Look at that. So, here we go. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée. I don't know why it says fianco, but his fiancée. I think it's because whatever font we're using, the little, uh, the little uh, uh, yeah, that symbol turned out like that. Who was now obviously pregnant. So Mary, again, Mary wasn't just pregnant. She was ready to give birth. She was obviously pregnant. You know that when you walk in and you see somebody you haven't seen for a long time and they're about to give birth and you're like, whoa, you're, you're pregnant, right? And so that's where she was at. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. Uh, so she gave birth to her first child, a son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So 
we're going to start with this passage of Scripture as we start this series. And, and the reason for that is because there's something that I want you to see in this passage of Scripture. This, this starts out with this idea that this census was being taken by the governor Quirinius in, in, in Syria. And so Joseph had to travel back to his ancestral home of Bethlehem. And so he takes with him Mary, his fiancée. They're about to be married, and the, 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 the engagement process was much different than it is now. And so he was taking his wife, his fiancée, Mary, with him um, on this journey for this census. And she was pregnant. And by now we know, we didn't see it in this passage, but by now we know that she was pregnant, but she was still a virgin, which is a head-scratcher. And I know it makes people go, it just can't happen. Like, that just can't happen. You, you can't be pregnant and be a virgin. That just is, is, a, is, is impossible to do. Let me tell you what's impossible to do. So I'm a type 2 diabetic. I was sharing this with Jeff last night. I'm a type 2 diabetic. I read an article the other day about, I think it was in Japan, where they developed an artificial pancreas that they put in someone and it began to create insulin, and they were no longer a diabetic. That's impossible to do. And yet man figured that out. So you tell me how it's impossible for the God of all creation to determine how to get a baby into a woman who's a virgin. He can do it. He can do it. Why? Because He's God. And so He did. Why would He do that? Why would God say, I'm going to take a woman who's not married, who's never had sex, and I'm going to make her pregnant? Why would God do that? Because you can't argue with that. Like you can't argue with the fact that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, was different from the outset. There was nothing common or ordinary about Him. And so here is Mary, and she's pregnant. She's on her way. She's riding on this donkey, we assume. We assume she was riding on a donkey. She's riding on a donkey, and you can imagine when women, when, when you're close to giving birth and you want to give birth, what's one of the things that you do that you're told to do by the doctor that you can go out and do, right? Walk. Right? Go out and walk. And maybe that'll start the process. Imagine riding on a donkey for days. Right? So she's been riding on this donkey for days. It says she's obviously pregnant. She's like, oh my gosh, she's pregnant, pregnant. And she walks in and it says the time comes for her to have the baby. Right? Water breaks. Labor starts. Mary's ready to have the baby. Right? And Joseph's freaking out because he's about to have a baby. And, and you guys know how it is if you have children you think you're ready, and then the process starts. When, when we were having Courtney, that was our first, and we were having Courtney. I was with Leanne the whole time in the room, and then everything got settled down. She finally got her epidural, and everything got settled down, and I said, I'm going to go get a Mountain Dew and a snack out of the, out of the vending machine because what you all may not know about me is I love vending machines. Like, love vending machines. Like, when Leanne was getting, when she was pregnant, she was getting ready to have the baby, I got gifts of quarter rolls so that I could spin them in the vending machines. Like people were giving me quarter rolls because they knew that I was going to be eating out of them. So I was so excited. So I was like, listen, now that you're in good shape, I'm going to go grab a, a Mountain Dew and something out of the vending machines. 
right? This was pre-diabetes, so Mountain Dew was king. And I said, I'm going to go. So I went, and I, and I bought that. And, and as I walked by the nurse's station, I spoke to them all. I was like, hey, guys, I'll be back in just a minute. Going to go get some Mountain Dew. You know, anybody want anything? As if they knew who I was. And I went on. <clears throat> got my snack, and then I was coming back. And as I was coming back, I walked by the nurse's station. I thought, huh, that's strange. It's empty. Like, there's no nurses there. I thought that was kind of weird. And so as I get closer to my room, I hear noise. And as I walk in my room, I figure out that all of the nurses are now in my room. And as I walk in, they throw scrubs at me, and they say, put these on. We're going to the emergency, or we're going to the surgery room right now. The daughter's heart rate has dropped. We've got to get her out now. And you're going to be in there with us. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to happen. Like, I'm going to be in charge and responsible for another human life besides my own. And I'm a wreck. Like, like not in that moment. I mean, in life, I'm a wreck. Like, I shouldn't be responsible for my own life. And yet now I'm about to be responsible for another human being. I've got to make sure that she eats and that she's got clothes and that she's got a house to live in and a car to drive. I mean, not that she wasn't driving then. But like, congratulations, here's your car, doll. Um, drive yourself home when you're better. Um, you know, I mean, I, it was just like this, this major moment. And dads, we kind of freak out sometimes. Like there's the stories of the dads passing out in the, in the delivery rooms, you know, and all this. And here's Joseph. No doctors around. I don't even have a place really to stay. It says there's no place for them to stay. They stay in a in a, in, a, in a in a stable in a in a in a horse barn. Now there's some debate about what that was. Was that the lower level of, of a family member's house? Was that the 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 barn of an actual like inn, a, a place to stay? We we don't know. We know it's where animals were, and that's where the King of Kings was born, right? And so Joseph's in there with just Mary, and he's freaking out probably. And Mary's, you know giving birth, and, and you can imagine how brutal that must have been all by herself with no doctor, no medications, in a, in a stable, right? And Scripture says that, that on that night, she brought forth her first son. And she wrapped him in swaddling or snuggly clothes, right? We called it bur the burrito in our house. When we would take the kids and we would wrap them real tight in this blanket, we made a little blanket burrito, and they loved it. And Mary did that to her son Jesus for the first time. She wrapped him snugly and she laid him down to rest, right? And it seems like, like it was such a chaotic moment. It seems like it was such a spontaneous moment. Like, like there was no direction. There was no nothing. It was just like Joseph drug her off to this far off place while she was you know, about to give birth, it's like when you're walking through Disney World and there's women that are 12 months pregnant and you're like, why are you even here? It's 95 degrees outside. You're about to give birth and you're at Disney World. With, and you can tell that they're looking at their husbands like, why did you plan this, right? Like, and they're there. And so this Mary and she's like, it just seems like there's no direction to this. But yet I want you to see something. It was a very... Very, very intentional plan going on here. There was, a, there was an intentional plan that had been put into motion that was now being made real in this moment. Right? So, I want you to see that while this may look chaotic on the surface, it was not. It was God's specific perfect design. You know, 
a lot of history's great moments happened and then they became great. Right? Like the moment happened and then they became great after that moment. The birth of Jesus wasn't great because God was born in that moment. The birth of Jesus was great because it was an intentional plan that had happened within the shadow of the fall of man and it found its way through time and it happened in that moment and then carries on through eternity. That's what made the birth of Jesus great. Let's look at some moments in history that we consider great and let's look at them for what they really are. The first one we want to look at is the Magna Carta. Anybody here know what the Magna Carta is? By the show of hands, Magna Carta, right? It was, a, it was a, a, a governmental ruling document that was designed in England. Does anybody know how many versions of the Magna Carta there were? Anybody? Anybody? No? Not even Sam? There were four versions of it. Were there five, Jeff? I thought there were four versions. Jeff was holding up five. He was guessing. He made me second guess. There were four versions of it. The first one was a failure. I came up with the Magna Carta. It was quickly rescinded, right? It was supposed to level the playing field between the king and the people. And the Magna Carta was. First one was a failure. It was actually reissued three more times after that. Yeah, we look at the Magna Carta, and because of the final product, we go, the Magna Carta changed the world, right? Our founding fathers used it to develop the governmental system that we still govern ourselves by hundreds of years later. But we look at it, and we go, oh my gosh, the Magna Carta. The first one that they planned and put all thought into failed. Three more reissues of it. Finally, the final product is the one that endured on. We look at it as one of the greatest moments in history, governmental history. And yet it was a failure at first. And then it was reissued, 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 reissued. Went on. Became a, a success. Rosa Parks. How many of you here know who Rosa Parks are? Right? Raise your hand. Rosa Parks, the lady that wouldn't sit on the back of the bus, got arrested. Right? Huge, huge moment in the civil rights movement, right? She has a statue in uh, statue hall in in the Capitol in Washington, DC. <clears throat> and it's a it's a permanent statue. So all of the statues can come and go, they can be taken, they can be moved out, um, according to the will of um, of the state. Rosa Parks doesn't belong to a state. I mean, she doesn't belong to a state. She was issued, she was commissioned and put there by the by the by Congress. So she stays all the time. And her position in Statuary Hall in Congress is her, and she's looking across the, the hall, and she's staring all the time. That's been the same statue for years now. But she's staring across the hallway at the, at the statue that Alabama places. It's a great, it's a great moment like that they designed and, and elemented there. But Rosa Parks, right, we look at that and we go, oh my gosh, what a massive movement. In the civil rights movement. And it was. But she didn't plan to change the movement. She just wanted to do what was fair and right. right. But after the moment, it became a great moment in history. In that moment, it was just a woman trying to do what she felt was right. Trying to take a stand for what she thought was wrong with the world. And it became one of the great moments of that movement. How many of you have ever seen the picture of Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston in the 1965 fight? Right? That picture of Muhammad Ali standing there with his arm cocked like this, standing over Sonny Liston laid out on the, on the mat in the ring there in their second fight, first fight 
They fought in 1964 before Muhammad Ali had changed his name to Muhammad Ali. It was actually called Clay versus Liston. The second fight was called Ali versus Liston. Right, and you got that great picture. I was just a guy caught up in the moment. And yet it became one of the most iconic sports moments in history. Probably is the most iconic moment in boxing history. What about the internet? When Al Gore made it. Just kidding, Al Gore didn't make the internet. What about the internet? You know what the internet was supposed to be? Anybody know? It wasn't supposed to be the thing that you get to watch YouTube videos on. <laughs> that wasn't the plan. The original plan was not, oh my gosh, we're going we're gonna to make something that people can sit around for hours and go down the rabbit hole of videos. That wasn't it. It was a proposed information management system by a guy named Tim Branders Lee. It was supposed to be a transferable system of information so that information could be shared from any point in the world, right? The, the Internet started with the World Wide Web. It was a proposed information system. And yet it became probably the most revolutionary thing that's ever been developed to this point in the world. Changed the way that the world interacted with each other. That's not what it set out to be. It was supposed to be a way to share information, not a way for people to have make a living, right? I almost fell off that. That's why I did that step. It was like a dramatic step towards you all, but actually I was saving my own life. Um, I knew I was going to do it one day because it all just kind of disappears into each other. It was a proposed information management system. And now people make their living sitting at home working for a company on the other side of the world while they sit in their pajamas in their living room. These moments that just happened and became great moments in history. But that wasn't the plan with God. God didn't say, oh my gosh, this lady's having a baby. I should make something great out of that. No, He started the process way early. In Genesis chapter 3, when man falls, and God knows He's going to have to expel them from the garden. And God knows that their perfection is lost and wasted and gone. And God knows that there's going to have to be a way to reunite them. He talks about the enmity. He talks about the division between the serpent and man. He, and what He's talking about is man and Satan. The divisiveness that Satan has brought in and this, this war that will rage on between God and man and Satan. And then He says, He tells them that in the end, his heel will crush your head, right? Like, like in that moment, God displays a plan for salvation. And then it continues on. Let's look at a couple of places. In Zechariah 9.9. In Zechariah 9.9. It's going to pop up there. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your King is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet He is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. Prophecy about the way that Jesus would enter Jerusalem just before He's crucified. Let's look on. Isaiah 7.14 Alright then, the Lord Himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and will call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Look on in Isaiah 9.6 For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on His shoulders and He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's move on. John 1, nine, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
He came into the very world He created. But the world didn't recognize Him. He came to His own people and even they rejected Him. But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the world became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Let's look at one more. Go back to that one. Galatians 4.4. There we go. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. There was no mistaking God's plan. I could go on and on and on and on and read prophecy of Jesus coming. Mary going into labor and having her baby away from her home in a borrowed place by herself in a town known for its shepherding was not a mistake. It was a very intentional plan. God began this process at the dawn of the fall of man. And He intentionally carried it out until Jesus was born. And then the plan for Jesus' life was intricately laid out for Him. He would would be raised the son of a carpenter. He would remain relatively obscure until He was somewhere around 30 years old. We don't know exactly. Somewhere around 30 years old. And then He would have three very specific, very intentional years of ministry. And in that time, He would defy the laws of, of, of Israel. He would defy the laws of nature. He would defy the laws of common sense. Right? Like Jesus, Jesus did things that made the, the religious leaders go, you can't be the Messiah. You don't even follow our own rules. Jesus did things that has science scratching their heads and going, that's impossible. He walked on water. He raised the dead to life. He cured leprosy with a simple thought or a simple touch. He he read people's thoughts and answered them out loud. He defied the, the, the laws of common sense when He had a chance to defend Himself and not go to the cross in front of Pilate in front of the, 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 the Jewish ruling councils. He didn't do it. He just sat there and kept his mouth shut. How many of us do that? Most of us can't drive to church on Sunday morning without getting mad at somebody and mouthing off. My wife tells me all the time, they can't hear you, I'm the only one that can hear you. Why are you talking to them? Why are you still talking to them? They can't hear you, they're gone. I'm the one in the car with you. Yet Jesus is sitting there and Pilate's telling him, They're going to kill you unless you give me a reason not to. Jesus doesn't defend Himself. We defend ourselves even when we know we're wrong. We justify why we did what was wrong. And yet Jesus is sitting here never having done anything wrong in His life. And He chooses to remain silent through most of His trials. He has a dialogue with with Pilate about truth. And that's it. 
the intricate detail revealed in centuries of prophecy that dove into great detail of Jesus' birth. They talked about the manner in which Jesus was born. They talked about where Jesus would be born. They talked about what Jesus would be named. They talked about aspects of Jesus' life that would be carried out. And yet, if we look at it and we don't revere it in the way that we should, we don't look at it and go, oh my goodness, the King of Kings was brought in. Oh, we say it. Oh, the King of Kings was born on that day. Where's my presents? Gimme, gimme. I got to get the tree up. Got to get the tree up. Got to get my Christmas lights up. Got to get my presents bought. Got to get them wrapped. And I get caught up in all that stuff too. I decorated a plant one time with Christmas lights because my mom wouldn't let me put the tree up. Like I love Christmas. I'm as Christmassy as the, as the next person. Our TV goes on the Hallmark. As soon as Halloween is over, I don't, I don't let it go on before Halloween. But as soon as Halloween's over, our, tree goes, our TV goes on the Hallmark and stays there. Until Christmas. Right? We watched the same movies 25 times. I walked in last night to Leanne and I said, Hey, listen, I don't want to alarm you. I've not seen this movie before, but that girl is falling in love with that guy and they shouldn't be. Like everything says they shouldn't, but they are. Watch and see. Right? I love Christmas and I want to buy gifts and I want to get them wrapped and I want to get the tree up and I want to get the house decorated and I want it to smell like cookies and I want it to smell like evergreen, right? And I want the mall to stay open late because it just feels like Christmas to me and I like it when Ross doesn't close until 1 o'clock in the morning and I can go there anytime I want and Christmas shop. Like I love everything about Christmas and I revere everything about Christmas, but I do it in a different way than I do Jesus. I don't revere Jesus in the way that I should revere Jesus. I don't revere the birth of Jesus the way that I should revere the birth of Jesus. I've stood in the Capitol building. When I've told you guys this. When, the, when the, the floor was stripped down and the original floor was laid bare and I leaned down to touch it with my hands because I thought this is where the Founding Fathers walked. This is an amazing place. And yet I don't revere the birth of Jesus that way. I don't look at it and go, oh my gosh, in this moment that we just read about where Joseph and Mary were caught off guard by the birth of Jesus. God was not caught off guard by the birth of Jesus. It was in the exact place, at the exact moment, at the exact time, with the exact people that God had planned it to be in the garden when man fell away from Him. And it was the same plan for centuries until it involved in that moment, in that stable, with those two people, then that baby being born right there at that time. That's an intentional plan. Listen, I've made a lot of plans in my life. They're never carried out to the exact intricate detail that the birth of Jesus was carried out in. Did you know it is a mathematical impossibility for all of the prophecies about Jesus to have come true in one person. A mathematical impossibility. It can't be done. Yet on that night, in that stable, in that moment, it happened. It was a very intentional plan that went into the birth of Jesus. It was a very intentional plan to bring us a king, a leader, a ruler, a governor of our lives. 
that would never fail us, would never lead us astray, could never be impeached. He's just perfect. You know what? Now that I think about it, when there's Jehovah's Witness knocked on my door and said, hey, what do you think about the kingdom of earth on heaven? A kingdom of heaven on earth. You know what I should have said? I should have said, oh, you mean me? Because the king of kings, he governs me. I'm his kingdom. I'm his prize. I'm what he desires the most. And on that night, in that place, God had a very intentional plan. Don't ever forget that. God is never caught off guard. He's never surprised. And on that night, when that very intentional plan came into being, it came into being for this reason. It goes all the way back to the garden. We're a broken people. We're depressed. We're angry. We're alone. We're clouded and busy. We're, we suppress and we invent and we masquerade and we showcase things. We're, we're uh, arrogant. We're prideful. Like we're, we're all of those things. Oh, there's good qualities to us. Don't, don't get me. I'm not saying like, oh, look, you all are terrible people and there's no redeeming qualities about you. Listen, we're compassionate and we're loving and we're kind to the people that we want to be kind to. We love the people that we want to love. We're compassionate towards the people that we want to be compassionate towards. Like there's good redeeming qualities about us. But God came and He loved everyone. And He was compassionate towards everyone. And He was good to everyone. Because He offers the same thing to all of us. He offers beautiful, redemptive grace over our destructive, divisive sin. And He's willing to make it a fair trade. We give Him everything that is, that is broken and flawed and, and destructive about us, and He will give us the beauty of His grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's the purpose of the plan. A very intentional plan. A king who would give His goodness to make us perfect. Christmas is about the King, the King of Kings, who was born on that first Christmas night, the result of a very intricate, intense plan that was brought to fruition in the form of a baby born in a stable with nothing more than his mom and his dad around. And he did it for you and me. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we just come to you right now, Lord. And God, I thank you for being who you are. God, I thank you for loving us in the way that you loved us. I thank you for the fact that, that 
Lord, in this moment that we read about this morning in Luke chapter 2, you took centuries of planning and centuries of prophecy and you made them a reality in that moment. And God, you did it for one reason and one reason only. You didn't do it to show off. You didn't do it to show that you could do something that no one else could do. You did it because you loved us so much that you wanted to create a way for us to spend eternity in relationship with you. And God, maybe we have people in this room right now that don't know you. They've never believed in the reality that you could make them perfect and whole. God, that you could wash away their sins. And that it happens through belief in the person of Jesus Christ. And today they need to know you. God, maybe this story is just to remind those of us in the room that are struggling with life right now, God, that it's okay. We're not in control. You're in control. And if you've brought it into our lives, God, then there's a very specific purpose and reason for it. And we don't have to shoulder it alone. We don't have to bear it alone. That you're with us, God, and you walk with us and you carry us in the moments that we're unable to carry ourselves. God, maybe today is just meant to be a reminder to all of us that you are great and you are good and you are perfect and you love us even when we seem unlovable. God, whatever it is, if you've spoken to hearts and lives today, God, may they maybe just hear you and respond to you and move to the urging of your voice. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for all you do for us. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And the praise team is going to lead us this morning. As they do, as we sing this song, oh, come to the altar. If God is speaking to your heart today, would you just respond to Him? It doesn't matter what He's talking to you about. It doesn't matter what everybody around you is going to think about you if you move. I loved one thing that was said this weekend. It was coming to a time of decision. It was coming to a time of response. And one of the speakers said, it's time that we just drop the the pretense that everyone around us thinks we're perfect and that if we move, they'll realize we're imperfect. Because the reality is that nobody in this room thinks that anybody else in this room is perfect. We all know that we're broken. Don't let your arrogance keep you from moving in God. If He's speaking to you today, would you respond to Him as we sing?
God with us today. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down before Him. For He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. The for being here today and we hope that God has spoken to you and and that uh, you are leaving here more aware of how much your God loves you because he loves you